Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49, and can be found on page 1157 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. The Resurrection Body. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives it his own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and the star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. There are a couple of books I wanted to flag up. Um, We've talked lots about gospel growth in our church planting series Why are we committed as a gospel church to gospel growth? Well, the book that perhaps has influenced me most as I've thought about the topic is called The Trellis and the Vine, The Ministry Mind Shift That Changes Everything. It's £7.50 on the bookstall. And uh, if you want to dig into the why of church planting, the why of thinking about the gospel as a growing concern that we should be committed to, this is a brilliant, brilliant book. And uh, we, have, um, we have it in English and we have it in Mandarin. And uh, maybe you, uh, Mandarin is your mother tongue. And if that's you, then you can grab one of those as well. They're £5 uh, for the Mandarin version, £7.50 for the English version. Now's the time to grab a Bible. Uh, we've got these turquoise church Bibles everywhere. Uh, make sure you see one if you can, either paper or electronic version. Page 1156 of the turquoise church Bibles. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 35 to 49, picking up our series we've been studying um, on and off for the last 18 months or so. Just because something is hard to believe doesn't make it unbelievable. Just because something's hard to believe doesn't make it unbelievable. And if you don't believe me, just ask Luton Town FC. What a story, Luton Town FC. Uh, 200,000 people live in Luton. Uh, when I started as the lead pastor at Highfields nine years ago, they were in the Premier Conference Division, which is outside of the Football League. 
the Football League is four uh, big divisions, then there's the Conference League, and they were in the bottom one uh, outside. Then they got promoted in, in uh, uh, 2014, and uh, the Hatters did well. They were playing in the Conference League with teams like Gateshead Town and Dagenham and Redbridge and, uh, and uh, Southend United. That was their kind of uh, competitors. Most clubs have got 5,000 to 10,000 seats in the stadium. And then in 2017, they uh, were promoted from the second division to the first division. And then the next division were promoted straight away. So it, within two years, they went from the, the, the bottom right to the championship. And they were there for about five years. And then just yesterday, they beat Coventry City 6-5 on penalties at Wembley Stadium and have been promoted to the big league. These little minnows, Luton Town, playing with Manchester City uh, next uh, week or ne- ne- next year, sorry, just because something is hard to believe doesn't make it unbelievable. You would never have guessed nine years ago that that team would make it there. Actually, the, 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 the league, that the, the team that's just won the, the Premier Conference League is Wrexham Town. So it'll be interesting to see whether Wrexham kind of work it up in nine seasons up to the Premier League. And the last few weeks, we've been thinking about these amazing chapters um, towards the end of uh, the book of Corinthians and how Paul is at labour pains to explain how the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of God's people is like a massive Jenga block that if you pull it out, the whole tower comes crashing down. Christian preaching, our hope for forgiveness, our hope for the future, it all is based on those key truths. And the particular piece that has really exercised Paul, because it's very much exercised the church in Corinth, is the future bodily resurrection of Christians. And uh, we saw a few weeks ago that uh, the Corinthian believers had been influenced by uh, the wider philosophical opinion in Corinth uh, that uh, said that... uh, Really, when Jesus comes back, people are going to be raised from the dead and physically going to live on earth and know Jesus King forevermore. Like, what on earth? That's crazy. Who can possibly believe that? Let me try and uh, uh, illustrate it on the screen. This is, this is a kind of quick diagram summary of the Christian story. There's the death, resurrection, return of Jesus Christ to his Father in heaven. All that took place, 33 AD or so, then 40 days later, the Holy Spirit was given. Pentecost, today is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the gift of the Spirit to us, the church. And now us looking back, um, if we hear and believe the good news about Jesus' death in our place, the resurrection and a return, then, uh, then even though we live our lives and die um, sometime in the future... Uh, we get to have life after death. And that's great news. And um, our bodies stay in the ground and our spirit goes to be with Jesus. And that, so far, was uncontested in Corinth. They were all happy with that. What they weren't happy with was what takes place after that. So after that, the Lord Jesus Christ returns sometime in the future. Could be uh, uh, later today. It could be another 100,000 years. We don't actually know. But sometime he'll return and all those who've trusted in him will be raised from the dead and will be welcomed into paradise with him forevermore. And our spirits and our bodies will be reunited in a brand new creation, a renewed, restored place, a better than ever place uh, that we can live in. And uh, that's what uh, Bishop or former Bishop Tom Wright called life after life after death. So there's life after death, which is that kind of 
time between your death and Jesus' return. And then the big glorious future that the Bible is pointing to is life after that. So the physical resurrection of the dead. And that life after life after death, that kind of stage two of the history of the world. Stage one is between your death and Jesus' return. Stage two between Jesus' return and, well, forevermore. That second stage was the contested stage. That was the bit that the Corinthians just could not stomach. They didn't believe it. They thought it was crazy. They thought bodies just rot. They stay in the ground. So verse 35, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? It's a kind of cynical put down of the Corinthians. And you can kind of understand where they're coming from, can't you? you may, the moment you think about what will it be like in stage two of the future. What will bodies be like in the new creation? I mean, it does make your head spin if you think about it for any length of time. So for example, you know, say a Christian organ donor and a Christian organ recipient. Both die. In the new creation, who gets the liver? I've been thinking about that one. But you can keep on thinking loads of things. At what age will your body be in the new creation? Will you be the you at the height of your physical prowess as a youngster, if that you ever existed? Will it be the you in your kind of squidgy middle age? Or the you in your mature, greying, older years age? Is that... The age you will be in the new Christian. Will, be, will you be the age you were when you became a Christian? Or the age you were when you were baptised or when you died? What will our resurrection bodies be like? That's a good question. And that was the question they were asking then. And how on earth do you get one? That was the other question they were asking. Like, fine, you're going to say we're going to get one. Great, but how do we get one? How did it happen? Uh, there was a wonderful Christian leader in the 14th century called John Wycliffe, who I'm sure lots of you may have heard of. He was the guy who translated the Latin version of the Bible, the Vulgate, into English so that uh, we today can understand our Bibles. And that was the kind of the, the precursor several times over to the Bibles we have in our hands. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church in medieval times couldn't stand him for making the Bible popular. And so 40 years after he was... He died and was buried. His body was dug up and burned and his ashes were scattered on the River Swift which flowed into the Avon which flowed out into the sea. And the thought was, ha-ha, you know, what kind of resurrection is that going to look like? Is God going to be able to like, pull ashes together from all over the, the world's oceans to reunite John Wycliffe? As if that's going to get a stump of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, mm, how to sort this out? And, how will it happen? What will it look like? How will it happen? They're the big questions. And uh, what's Paul's response here? Well, you fool. How foolish, verse 36. Actually, the the phrase is the kind of phrase that we see in Psalm 14, which is what uh, there, David, the the psalmist says, the fool in their heart says there is no God. If you uh, live your life with God out the picture and you eliminate him from, from all descriptions and the physical world is all there is, which some people hold on to, Although, I have to say, since uh, COVID particularly, but you know, for the last little while, when I've chatted to people who don't know Christ, more and more people I'm seeing are saying there's got to be something more than the physical. So I think it is a diminishing position, but some people do think it's all about the physical. I think many, many people are realising there's much more to life than just the physical. But if all you think is just the physical and dead people don't rise, end the story, footballing minnows don't rise up through the leagues... Or to which Paul would say, just because something is hard to believe, doesn't make it unbelievable. 
And so what he does is he spends the next uh, section down to verse 49 answering two key questions about uh, Jesus's um, future resurrection, how it guarantees things, and, the, and particularly about the, the body of Christian believers. What will they look like? What on earth will they be like? And how on earth do you get one? So what are they like and how do you get one? They're the big questions that this passage is answering. And uh, he's not going to give us all the answers we've got, and I'm sure we can all think of a, a, a ton more questions we want to know. But actually, I think we do get some answers here for some of those big questions. And we, we go a little bit David Attenborough in the first point, and uh, uh, it's been fun to, to think about in the last uh, week or so. Here's our first lesson. Illustrations from nature hint at the resurrection of the body. Illustrations from nature hint at the resurrection of the body. And uh, in this first section, which is 36 to 44, two illustrations uh, Paul uses to help us get our heads around what will it be like? What will our future bodies be like? That's the question he's kind of pushing into here. And now, last time, a couple of weeks ago, we said that uh, as Paul is writing this, he's got his Genesis 1 and 2 open. And uh, that is very much the case here, because there are lots of references to the first creation as he begins to think about the new creation. And he's been thinking about Genesis 1 and 2, clearly, and the creation of the world. And the first illustration, which is verses 36 to 38, is really to do with continuity and discontinuity. Okay, And he's using the language of seeds. So, have a look down in verse 36. How foolish, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Now, yesterday in the Gobbet House, it was seed planting day in nice sunshine, and uh, seeds is the picture here of uh, within the Paul's writing and what Paul is doing he's referring to the creator God who uses seeds and uh, and explains how the kind of death and resurrection of seeds is what we're to see mapping onto the future of Christian believers now anyone can guess what I've got in my hand I'll give you a clue what have I been talking about see okay seeds it's actually a pip it's a, a, a pip of an apple tiny little pip of an apple you can't see it but if you're watching on YouTube I hope you can kind of pause zoom in there it is it's in my hand trust me A tiny little pip, but in this tiny pip blows my mind. That pip could feed the world. Couldn't it? That pip could feed the world. Because that pip um, is part of um, an apple, and uh, when planted into a ground, grows up to make an apple tree. Same DNA, continuity, out of which apples come. They may fall to the ground. Each one rots, pips go down, up go the trees. You feed the world a few iterations time, from one single pip. And, uh, of course, this isn't an apple tree. And and Paul would say, you don't plant the body into the ground. You just plant a seed. You don't plant an apple into the ground. You just plant a seed. But if you do, you've got it all in that seed. It's a process. It's a transformation from pip, from seed, to tree, acorn to oak tree. And uh, continuity, same DNA, and clear discontinuity between the seed and the tree. Struggle to get my hand, head around it. Seems almost too good to be true, but it is true. It is true. That is exactly what happened. That's the first illustration. Second illustration from nature. And here we're in verses 39 to 41. And, and Paul is talking about different 
bodies and different habitats, different uh, things that are in creation and different environments that they live in. Okay, so have a look down. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, the stars another, and the star differs from star in splendour. In nature, God... Our creator has made loads of different kinds of things, of bodies, to use Paul's language. And he has created different homes for those bodies to live in. And uh, Paul's point is each body is perfectly matched for its habitat, its environment, its home. And that's God's design. So uh, take uh, the difference between me and a fish, say. One with it, thought experiment, I'm out this afternoon, lovely sunny day, walking around Roth Park, and so hot I jump into Roth Park Lake. And uh, swimming around Roth Park Lake, I get chatting to a passing carp. I doubt very much that the carp would be able to get its head around the fact that I am a human being, and as human beings we live on on dry land and we breathe air with our lungs and we experience gravity outside of water and we run and we eat roast potatoes and we play volleyball and the, the carp is like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand a word of it. Wouldn't find it easy to get its head round my kind of existence and yet, breaking news, all you carps out there, it's true, we really do it. We really do. It might be hard to believe but it's there, it happens. I think what Paul is doing is using those two kinds of illustrations. He's saying we learn something about the future resurrection of Christian believers from nature. So just as the creator God simulates the death and resurrection that will happen for all of his people through the death and resurrection of a seed going into the ground and being raised to new life in the form of a tree, and just as you have different kinds of bodies in different kinds of habitats that fit according to their place their home so back in the passage heads down verse 42 David Attenborough is done with now we're getting back into the theology so it will be verse 42 with the resurrection of the dead in other words as it is in with these illustrations of the present world of nature so it will be with the future resurrection of Christians it will be a process there will be transformation there will be continuity from this life It will be the real you. It will be you in the new creation. Massive continuity, same kind of DNA. It will be you, right? But massive discontinuity too. Remember when Jesus rose again? You could see the scars from before the the, the empty tomb, but they didn't hurt. It will be you, but it will be a different you, a different kind of you. Like a seed to a tree is same but different. Well, our current bodies, which belong in this sinful Habitat, this environment, this fallen world that we live in now, will be gloriously transformed, according to Paul, so that we fit in the new habitat of the new creation, perfectly adapted to live in that life one day, physically, yes, and spiritually, beyond Jesus' return. Isn't that amazing? Is not that amazing, friends? That is wonderful. So let's just see how Paul spells it out to us in verses 42 to 43. Some powerful lines just coming out thick and fast here. The body that is sown is perishable. Second half of verse 42. 
It is raised imperishable. More breaking news. Your body is perishable. Sorry to break that to you if you're kind of under the age of 20, but it's perishable. <laughs> yeah, it's perishable. Bones break. Joints wear out. Teeth fall out. As a friend of mine uh, uh, used to say, the older he gets, it's as if, it's, it's as if his hair is growing backwards. <laughs> it's less on the top of his head and uh, more and more just coming out everywhere else. <laughs> Ears, nose, back. And uh, <laughs> it's coming your way, guys. You, you think I'm the... I'm the fit, in, fit as a fiddle. It's great. I increasingly find myself going down to do up my shoelaces. And, and I think, like, what else can I do while I'm down here? It just, everything <laughs> it just aches. Much more. I'm wearing my glasses this morning. Someone said, it's good that you wear your glasses, visual aid of, um, of getting old, David. It's very true. This, and I, you can tell you're getting old when you have to take your glasses off to read things really clearly. That is a real sign of age. And our bodies are, imper- are, are perishable, but they will be raised imperishable. Can you believe it? Wow. No more glasses. No more crutches. No more wheelchairs. No more paracetamols. No more anaesthetic. No more nausea. No more sirens. No more emergency room. No more 999. No more cancer diagnoses. No more AIDS. No more bereavement of loved ones. No more tears. And no more regrets. It's sown, perishable, raised in perishable. It's sown in dishonour, it's raised in glory. Sown in dishonour, I think, is to do with you know, our bodies are marred by sin. They're spoiled by sin. So even as Christians, we have to live with dishonour. You know, we, we think of things we've done which bring us shame. We think of things we haven't done which bring us shame. And often we can't help ourselves thinking, Lord, if only... If only things could be different, I'd love to live a different life. I'd love to not regret what I've done. One day you'll be raised with glory. And the word for glory here, verse 43, sown in dishonour, raised in glory, it's actually the same word as the, the kinds of splendours that we got in verses 40 and 41, different kind of heavenly bodies that have splendour. So I don't think when it talks about being raised in glory, sometimes we think, does that mean we're going to have a glow around us, like we're a ready brick kind of man or a woman, just kind of glowing around, or like a Michelangelo painting with a big halo on our heads, these kind of spiritual beings. No, I think the idea of being raised in glory, raised with splendour, is just as God has made amazing stars that have great splendour and great weight and are magnificent beings in the world. Well, so we will have such splendour, such magnificence. That will, that will be the future. No more brokenness, no more dishonour of sin, no more struggling with sin. Forevermore we will reflect perfectly the character and the behaviour of God himself. Do you long for that day? Do you long for that day? Sown in Dishonour raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, raised in power. We are weak, aren't we? We're unable truly to be and to do the people we've been called to. Find it very hard to do it. You may even have good intentions, but you just can't actually do it. If you're so weak, then we'll do it. We'll actually be able to do and to be precisely what we want for God's glory. And far from being less real, less present, less 
physical, less permanent. Sometimes we do think that, don't we? We, we think it's a bit of a kind of spiritual, floaty kind of idea. Um, no, actually, our future bodies will be more real, more physical, more permanent than they have ever lived before. C.S. Lewis talked about this world as the shadowlands, of which the future is the real deal. You know, sometimes we talk about a sportsman or a sportswoman who's had a horrendous accident or maybe he's had a stroke. And uh, we talk about them being a shadow of their former selves, don't we? Another writer says that our current lives are a shadow of our future selves. You're enjoying life right now? You just wait until what it will be like one day when all the negatives have been taken away. You live and be and breathe and not face pain and brokenness and shame. Wow. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If you've heard the story of the two caterpillars sitting on a leaf and suddenly they feel a rush of wind and a beautiful butterfly sits on the leaf next to them and the caterpillars look up at the gleaming glory of the butterfly just beside them until the butterfly flutters off and leads them to it. And after a thoughtful silence, uh, one of the caterpillars looks wistfully at the other caterpillar and says, you know, I'd love to go up in one of those one day. (laughs) And the irony, of course, is if only they knew, one day they will. That is their future. As uh, by a transformation, we call it metamorphosis. The butterfly comes out from where that caterpillar once was. Maybe we, like the caterpillar, thinks wistfully saying, I'd love to be free of pain one day. I'd love to be free of regret one day, free of failure, free of abuse, free of shame, free of exclusion one day. I'd love it. I'd love to to fly free of sin and struggle one day. If only we knew it, friends, by an even more dramatic process of transformation, not spiritual metamorphosis, but spiritual resurrection, physical resurrection when we die. That is the future of God's people. Sometimes people get a bit stuck with the language of spiritual body in verse 44. So uh, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now at first sight, spiritual uh, body sounds a bit like a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? Spiritual body, like dry water and a Chelsea football club successful Premier League season. It just doesn't make sense to us, our minds. Uh, but spirit and uh, you know, the opposite you know, of body, you know, they do seem like opposites, but that's because we get what the word spirit is doing here. It's like sometimes an adjective can be used to describe two different things. You know, because initially we think spirit is like, we've got a natural body, then we have a spiritual floaty kind of body, a little bit like a nearly headless Nick from Harry Potter, just floaty around, can't eat food, just like floats, floats, floats. That would actually cut against the grain of what uh, Paul has been saying. He's been talking about the physicality of the new creation, hasn't he? He's very, very clear about that. Christ's physical body is the first fruits of what's going to happen to all of humanity one day. And uh, if we're trusting in Christ, we'll be welcomed into a glorious paradise forevermore. I think what's going on is that the word natural and spiritual is less to do with what something is made of, but how something is empowered or animated. Let me try and explain. So say um, you say, is this an iron ship or is this a wooden ship? At that point, we, we're asking, what is the thing made of? Okay? That's not the way 
Paul is using the word spiritual and natural. It's more like when you ask a question, is this a steamship or is this a sail ship? So we're not talking it's made of steam, it's made of steam. It's how it's powered. Is it powered naturally, the old creation? Or it's powered, empowered, supernaturally, spiritually, the Holy Spirit of God, breathing new resurrection life into all his people. I think that's what's going on. It's quite challenging. It's quite hard to get our heads around. But I think the main point is clear. Illustrations from nature, Paul is applying and saying that is giving us a bit of an indication of what the future resurrection of the body will look like for Christian believers. That's the first point. Here's the second point. It's much more brief. Jesus' resurrection guarantees the resurrection of our bodies. Jesus' resurrection guarantees the resurrection of our bodies. We're here in verses 44 to 49. And if we find this whole idea of being raised spiritually, transformed by the Holy Spirit, a bit taxing on the grey selves, then we need to take another look at the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we need to turn. Because the resurrection of Jesus is both the model of our future and the means to securing our future, to guaranteeing our future. Let me try and explain. Uh, Last time we saw the resurrection of Jesus is the model of our resurrection. So just as Jesus... Uh, came through death into resurrection, new life, the empty tomb, and was recognised by people. Oh, there's Jesus. There's his hands. There's the scars which don't hurt. It's really him. And he, he ate food. He was touched, etc. Very similar. Well, the resurrection of Jesus is a model for what will happen to us. So we've seen that. But here, Paul is just really powerfully saying it's Jesus' resurrection is the means that guarantees our resurrection, if we're trusting in him. Let me try and explain what I mean. So have a look down in verse uh, 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The last time we saw that Paul has set up a big contrast in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 between two men, the first man, the first Adam, and the last Adam, i.e. Jesus Christ, uh, there in, in the gold, if you can see it on the screen. And the key verse here was in verse 23. So if you've got your Bibles, when you flick back a little section, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. For as in Adam all die, so verse 42, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And we said it's a bit like a game of one out, all out, rounders. So as Adam died, so all who are in Adam, i.e. the whole human race now, are born mortal and sinful. Born in original sin, death is in the world, and we all die because of that first sin and death of Adam. And uh, so with Adam, so with Christ. The mirror returns. So just as all who are in Adam die, all who are in Christ, all who trust in Christ, all Christians, are made alive. Well, here Paul's contrast gets even better because not only are Adam and Christ the the head of two humanities, the the, the old humanity, the human race, and then the new humanity, Christian believers, but this last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, has the power by his resurrection to move someone out of Adam, the old Adam, the deathly life, the life that will lead to death of Adam and bring them to new resurrection life and they can enter into relationship, which will never die again. He's in the business of rescuing those. So have a look down. The key verse here is in verse, um, verse uh, 43. The, the first man, Adam, became a living being. 
The last, which is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit, the one who gives the spirit, brings new life. Grabs dead people and moves them into new life, bringing resurrection, transformation. And then Paul says, look, just be clear on the time scales. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. In other words, Adam came first, the first one, and then the last one, then Christ. And then he talks a bit about their origins. As was the earth, I'm sorry, the first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. And uh, he explains how that applies to all of humanity. As was the earthly man, verse 48, so are those who are of the earth. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are of the heaven. So, in other words, just as human beings have human DNA, which find its origin back to our first parents. Well, so too, if you're a Christian, it's as if you have spiritual DNA. The implanted life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This Pentecost Sunday, what an amazing day to remember. We have the the life of God, the Holy Spirit planted into us to live and work and serve him. That one day will never be taken away as we die, rise again and get given a new restored resurrection body where we will look like Jesus. Look at this, verse 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we didn't all look the same as Adam, but we were like him in character. We uh, failed. We were selfish. We were greedy. We told lies to get ourselves out of trouble. We're very much like the old block that were chips off. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We'll be like him. The youngest Christian here today. Maybe you became a Christian in the last year. Maybe the last, uh, last six months, perhaps. It's lovely to hear of people becoming Christian. You may be a very young, very weak Christian. Well, one day, says Paul, on that final day, you will be as kind and as loving, as compassionate, as faithful, as reliable as joyful as the man from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that will be you. You might be struggling today, struggling with doubt, struggling with despair, fear about the future, fear about your relationships, fear about what's going to happen. Maybe bitterness is raging away, you've got some pride, you're just so selfish. Maybe your thought life has just been all over the place, looking at things, doing things you should not have done, you know it. And you fail again, you feel like a failure. And you cry to God, please change me, and he helps you, and you fail again, he helps you fail again. You yo-yo up and down through your life. You long that the downstroke would never happen again. One day, one day, because of Jesus' resurrection, you'll be perfected glorified, made completely new, fit, appropriate for the habitat of the new creation. Physically, yes. Spiritually, yes. Morally, yes. You'll belong there. Where you think, I don't belong here. You belong there. Absolutely. You won't require and want any praise from God for that, for you. You're just an imprint, an image. But all the praise and the glory will go to the king. And what will it be like then? It will be joy unspeakable to be like Jesus. To be like the most fulfilled human being who ever lived. 
to know the joy of relationship with your father forevermore. It may seem hard to believe. It doesn't make it unbelievable. Illustrations from nature suggest the future resurrection of our bodies. But Jesus' resurrection guarantees it. Because he died and rose, we can know for certain that that will be our story too. If we trust in him, we say, sorry for what we've done. Please, Lord, forgive me. Please change me. Please give me your spirit. Animate me. Give me new life. And maybe you've been coming to church for years, maybe just months, maybe just weeks, and have never yet said, Lord, sorry for what I've done. Thank you for what you've done. Please change me and give me a spirit so I can live for you. That's all you would need to do. And you do it in a heartbeat. Maybe you think that's just pipe dream. Dream your dream like dreaming that the Minnow team could scale the heights of the Premier League. It could never happen. Maybe we'll cross our fingers. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day we'll just hope it will work out. When I die, it'll be okay. It's a bit, a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Just live your life hoping, crossing your fingers. If you die, maybe it'll be okay. Lots of people live their lives that way. Getting that wrong will have eternal consequences, friends. You can do better than dreaming a dream, living in hope. In fact, dreaming a dream will do you no good at all. You just need to look at the risen Lord Jesus, the one who died for sins, who rose again to guarantee new life, to breathe new life into the dead. You can look at him and he'll breathe new life by his spirit into you today. Have you done that? He'd love it if you did. And I'd love it if you did too. Let's have a moment of quiet, then I'll pray. And if you'd like to talk with someone from the pastoral team afterwards, we'll be here at the front and say, Lord, please be at work in my life. Maybe you want to talk to the friend that brought you, who could explain with you how you might put your trust in Jesus and start out on a journey of following him. It's the best journey you could ever do. Please don't keep quiet. Have a word with one of us or a friend that brought you. And then I'm going to pray now and... uh, then we'll sing. Let's just bow our heads. Moment of quietness. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All who look to Jesus. All who turn around from living for themselves will be made alive. Lord, we sense the pain and the brokenness of this world. We feel the world is broken. We see the shadows deepen. Yet we know that you are a God of resurrection power. And you will bring new life to the dead if they call on your name. Thank you so much, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you for for the way you made creation. You embedded even in this first old creation, this broken creation, you embedded in its natural world 
signs of what you're going to do in the new creation one day. We thank you for that. We thank you that you will prepare us. You will ready us for the new habitat of the perfect world one day. We long for that day. We say, come Lord Jesus. Help us endure until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.